growing up, my favorite animal was a dolphin. And one, in fact, one year for our class, we had to make paper mache uh, objects, and so I chose to make a paper mache dolphin. Um, yeah, I and artsy crafts did not go together very well. It looked more like a jackhammer than it did a dolphin. Uh, for some odd reason, my mother still kept it. Today, in the first week, we hear about the golden calf. And why a calf? I have no idea. There seems to be other ideas as to why it was a calf, but like I said, I probably would have made a dolphin or something. But the Israelites did. They built a calf. Now we have to back up in the story a little bit. So if you remember, God, with Moses as his right hand, man, uh, led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. God miraculously saves them from Pharaoh's army when the Lord parts the river for the Israelites, but then has it washed over Pharaoh's army. Then Moses went up a high mountain to talk to God to receive the Ten Commandments and other instruction. However, uh, this conversation between God and Moses uh, took 40 days. Now, during this time, the Israelites get impatient and start to doubt God and Moses. Since they can't see Moses, they start to doubt everything. So they built something they could see and started to worship it. So today's first reading is a conversation between God and Moses on top of the mountain once the Israelites started worshiping the golden calf. God says to Moses, go down at once to your people. I love how God temporarily disowns his own people. It's like a parent, right? When the child does something good, the child belongs to you. When the child does something bad, it belongs to the other parent. God tests Moses by threatening to consume the Israelites with his wrath and start over with Moses. Remember, the Israelites are all descendants of Abraham. Here God is proposing to Moses to start over to make Moses the one from whom all of God's descendants, uh, all God's people descend from. Then I will make of you a great nation. Now I probably would have failed the test and been like, sure God, let's do it, let's go for it. But Moses passes the test. He reminds God of the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. In the end, God has mercy on the Israelites, even though, after all he had done for them, they still worshipped an inanimate object. They worshipped an idol. And that is the main message of today's readings, God's infinite mercy. In the second reading, St. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, recalls God's mercy on him. St. Paul says he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and arrogant. Despite all this, St. Paul was treated with mercy. St. Paul says this is true not just for him, but for all sinners. St. Paul says because of what he did to Christians before, he is the greatest sinner. So if God can have mercy on him, God can have mercy on anyone. And of course, this theme of mercy is echoed in Jesus' words in the Gospel. In today's very long gospel reading, we get three parables of God's mercy. Luke chapter 15 begins with tax collectors and sinners all drawing near to listen to Jesus. Again, tax collectors worked for the foreign Roman government, so that would strike one in the Israelites' eyes. They worked for the enemy. 
And two, tax collectors often collected more tax from their fellow Israeli brothers and sisters than the Roman government specified. By collecting extra amounts, many tax collectors became quite wealthy. Extortion might be an appropriate word. So when Luke says the tax collectors and sinners were listening to Jesus, this means that the unwanted, the lowlifes, the outcasts, these were the ones gathering around Jesus. So the Pharisees and the scribes, the quote, important people of society, wondered why Jesus welcomed and ate with these lowlifes. Jesus responds by telling three parables. The first parable is the lost sheep. Luke records Jesus saying, What man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? Now I'm a city boy. The only animals I grew up around were, were a couple of guinea pigs and a rabbit. So I don't know anything about sheep. So I was like, when I heard this line, I'm like, sure, okay, sure, that's what everyone would do. They would leave the 99 and go look for the one. I now know better. This is a rhetorical question. Jesus was trying to make a joke. Because the answer to Jesus' question, what man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the 99 in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? The answer is no one. No one would do that. Sheep are extremely dumb and just follow the herd. So if a shepherd lost the, left the 99 to go find the one, the shepherd would come back and finally has to find another 99. So because as soon as he would leave, the chaos would ensue and the 99 sheep would scatter. Instead, a reasonable shepherd would think, oh well, I lost one, I still have 99. It would not be worth the risk to leave the 99 to the dangers around them just to find one wayward sheep. So the audacity of the shepherd's care for the one wayward sheep shows us the audacity of God. God will put everything on the line just to bring back the one. God's mercy is so great that he will pursue us even when we don't want to be pursued. Jesus says there is more rejoicing over the sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous who have no need of repentance. The next parable is the lost coin. Now the coin in question is the drachma. According to our bishop, Bishop Robert Barron, a drachma is not worth much at all, much like our penny today. So yeah, no one would light a lamp and no one would sweep the whole house just to look for a lost penny. We would consider that wasted time. And not only does this woman go to great lengths to find this penny, this minimal worth of a coin, but after she finds it, she throws this huge party for her family and friends. Again, no good shepherd would leave the 99 to search for the one lost sheep. No reasonable person would spend that much effort to find a penny and throw a party when one does find it. The third parable might be one of the most famous stories ever told. It is the story of the prodigal son. Most of you know this story well, so I won't rehash it. But again, most fathers wouldn't wait all day, day after day, hoping for the return of a son who insulted him by asking for his inheritance while his father was still alive, and then went and squandered the money the father had spent a lifetime working hard to obtain and just wasted it. 
At some age, and I'm still looking for it myself, it becomes undignified to run. This would have been doubly true in Jesus' day. So for the father to run to meet the son shows the father's exuberance and excitement on the return of his wayward son. The son gives his practice speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. The father ignores him, demands that the finest robe, a ring, and sandals be put on his son. Then the father throws a feast, a celebration. Maybe it is too obvious. Maybe we've heard it too many times. But these outrageous examples show us how outrageously God loves us and extends his mercy to us. No, we are not a dumb lamb. Yes, we are not a worthless penny. We are worth more than we can imagine. We are not a servant. We are sons and daughters of God through our baptism. However, I can tell you from the confessional that there are times when people feel dumb and lost and not worth being sought after and found. I know from the confessional that there are times when people feel worthless. I know from the confessional that there are times when people feel that what they have done is beyond the forgiveness and mercy of God. They feel as if there is no hope. Jesus reminds us today that just because we did something dumb doesn't mean that we are dumb. Jesus will still pursue us and find us. Jesus reminds us today that just because you feel or think that you are worthless, you are wrong. The truth is you are worth more than you can imagine. Jesus will turn over all of heaven and earth just to find you. And once he does, he will, he's going to throw a big party. Jesus reminds us today that when we feel that there is no coming back from what we have done, again, we are wrong. God the Father is waiting for us to turn back to him. And once we do, he will run at full speed to meet us and bring us home. And again, throw a big party. Just like the Israelites in the first reading, we fill our lives with so many idols, so many things we think that will make us happy. Things of this world may bring us temporary happiness, but in the end, we often feel emptiness, loneliness, and maybe even shame. Do not allow the evil one to keep you in this spiritual prison. Turn towards God. He has been pursuing you all along. He has been searching for you. He has been running towards you. Whatever you have done, God's mercy is deeper, more powerful than your sin. If you want true joy, place your hope, your life, in Christ.